Hello, this is BT Edney. I played Heather in the original Highlander film, and you are watching Highlander Rewatched. Hello and welcome to Highlander Rewatched, and today we've got a very special Chronicle episode for you. Uh, In our normal show, Highlander Rewatched, we always take a look at another facet of the Highlander universe, whether it be the TV or the movie series. In our Chronicle series, we sit down with the people behind the scenes in the cast and the crew that have brought Highlander to you throughout the years. Today, it's actually just going to be me. Uh, I'm one of your rewatchers, Keith. Uh, It's just me today because the person we're talking to lives thousands and thousands of miles away. So it is in the very wee hours of the morning here in Philadelphia where we record. Uh, So who is our guest today? You may know her from Channel 4's uh, Dressing for Breakfast, a very, very funny sitcom from the late 90s. The Corner drama on BBC and also BBC's period drama, Poldark, where she plays Prudy. But of course, our listeners, I bet, are most familiar with our guest as Heather McLeod from Highlander and the sequel Highlander Endgame. So please join me in welcoming to the show, B.D. Edney. Hello. Hi, B.D. How are you? Welcome to Highlander Rewatched. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. Actually, it's just me this morning uh, because due to the time difference, it's uh, in the wee hours of the morning here in uh, Philadelphia. So. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Oh, no, it's not your fault at all. <laughs> Thank you very much, though, for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. Um, so we thought we'd jump right in, actually. And it's especially great to talk to you. Uh, now this it's especially this time of the year because it was just the 30th anniversary of the original Highlander film. So we wanted to start off by asking, how did you get involved in the initial production? I know it was one of your actually very first projects. Yes. Well, I just left university and I think I'd done one television and there was an open audition. You used to have things in in film which you don't really have anymore where just loads of people turn up to audition. And there were a few hundred of us there, and you had to do a piece to camera. I think I heard pretty much the next day. It was a very, very quick process. They whisked me off to uh, curl my hair and make me taller and thinner and goodness knows what. And then I was filming. (laughs) Wow. Was this all a new experience for you? Or how how did you get into acting in the first place? I know your mother's an actress, correct? My mother's an actress. She was a very successful actress in films. And my parents didn't really want me to take that route. I I made a film when I was six years old with uh, Roman Plant was producing it mm-hmm. uh, it was a sort of euro pudding film and then i wasn't allowed to do any more i got a lot of offers to do films as a child actor uh, but my parents wanted me to have a proper education and just be a normal kid and go to school um so i did that and then i went to university and got into drama at university a bit we have a thing in in the uk called the edinburgh festival which is a big theater festival in the uk and I did a play there, a 
student play there and we won a, a prize and that play came to London and I got an agent and all my friends from university knew what they were going to do and I didn't know what I was going to do so I sort of fell into acting because I got a job and that's how it was but in those days you used to have to get a union card to work so I had to get my union card before I could do any work and then I got a television and then I got Highlander. Wow. Uh, so, w- what was the what was the shoot like? How long were you filming uh, in Scotland? Okay. Um, what was quite interesting about that, as far as I remember, is that the studio. So, a lot of the stuff was done in studio. The studio stuff was in in the East End of London. In this, it was called Jacob Street Studios, and I think they used to do a lot of pop videos there. It wasn't like one of our big studios or like the studios you have in the States. It was a smaller studio. And so we went on location in Scotland for a few weeks, I think. It wasn't, you know, excessive, but it was the whole film unit went to Scotland. And what was really fantastic about that film was that they recruited all these guys to do uh, the battle scenes so they had loads of bikers and people people had to have really long hair the, the the people who were in the battles and so on the way to the set every morning you'd be driving past all these guys with swords fighting each other because they were training how to fight with swords for a few weeks you'd drive past loads and loads of people having having lots of fun pretending to be fighting in a battle and then it rained the night before the big battle it rained and they filmed the battle i think in in a place called Glencoe, which is actually the site of a very famous battle in Scotland. The whole battlefield turned into a, um, how would you say it in American? I don't know. We'd call it a bog here or a marsh. Yeah, that's what we'd say. Yeah, usually a marsh, yeah. And so they would be sinking. Literally, they were sinking into the ground. And our amazing costume designer, who's won several Oscars, Jim Aitchison sent down to London for loads of uh, Wellington boots and covered them in 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 Hessian so that all the poor guys wouldn't be you know completely soaked. Yeah, that's what I remember about that. So we were there for quite a while, and we were there in March, which is not um, I don't know what it's like in Philadelphia the weather, but traditionally in the UK it's wet weather. And I just remember it was absolutely amazing boiling hot weather in Scotland. So we had a very wonderful sort of sunny time it was absolutely joyous wow one of the the most pivotal scenes in the movie is of course the montage with you and christophe lambert uh set to queens who wants to live forever uh where of course you're shown to age and he doesn't there's a, a a notorious story out there uh and i wondered if you could confirm it that at some point i guess russell mckay the director was not happy with the makeup and shut down the production for a day to redo it is that true the old age makeup was was a terrible um <laughs> nightmare for everybody i basically i think for a for about a week i would get up they they because i was late coming to the production um, I don't know whether somebody dropped out. I haven't ever found out the the whole story behind it. I have a feeling that somebody else was playing my part and they dropped out. And it might have been to do with work contracts or something. But I don't know who it was and I don't know um, what happened. So they may even have been looking for a looky-likey. I've no idea how I got so lucky. But basically they made all these moulds of my face. 
and I've still got the, I've got a couple of Polaroids. Basically, I looked about 100 years old and a man. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> I'd have to get up at three o'clock. I'm sorry if I'm babbling here. But oh, I no, no, this is great. Very funny story. Um, for about a week, I used to have to get up at three o'clock in the morning and sit in this trailer and have 10 hours of makeup with these individual sort of foam pieces were put on my face. It really wasn't pretty. And it was very, very strange because when you've got all that foam on your face, you are you inside, but people come and look at you and they're talking about you and they might even sort of poke your face and you can't feel it because there's a, an inch of rubber between you and their finger. Um, but they don't seem to be knowing that you're inside and you're kind of screaming inside. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they're just sort of all looking at you and prodding you. And so what would happen was I'd have this 10 hours of makeup and then I'd be paraded outside to Christophe Lambert and um, Russell Mulcahy. And they'd sort of talk about me and, um, you know, discuss me and go away and then come back. And I didn't really know what was going on. And eventually I just shouted at Russell and said, you know, I am here. And it was because I'd been 10 hours, I'd been up for 10 hours sitting in a chair, unable to drink or eat. And no one was telling me what was going on. And eventually what we did was we, they just did a sort of hideous paint job. I think Nick Maley had a heart attack, the uh, makeup guy. Oh, wow. Um, he was very, very ill. I mean, he was under such pressure. And I can't remember whether we shot the scene or not. I don't think we ever shot the scene. I mean, I did look like a witch. It was, it was <laughs> to do with, you know, the scene was a, a, is sort of a love scene and, and, and it just didn't work. And so eventually they, at the end of the shoot, I went back to, I was already doing another production and I went to Jacob Street and did, they did a sort of paint job on my face where they paint this sort of rubber stuff on your face and it sort of blisters into wrinkles. And unfortunately my skin was, so young that they couldn't get any wrinkles um i think at one point i suggested my mother did it and really we looked so alike at that point that would have been a brilliant idea that's funny um, we actually talk about that on the podcast that we were always kind of surprised that they just didn't use an older actress in that scene and you could just buy into that it was the same person i know i look look I'm really embarrassed about that scene, and um, I did what I could. It was very... I, I knew that I didn't look old enough, but I also understood that they had to make it look... You know, they couldn't have me looking like a witch something. Right. You know, it, it wouldn't have really sent the right message. You know, I think it was probably quite a good idea to have my mum do it, but, you know, you, you do what you can. Nowadays, of right. It would have been done with CGI or something brilliant. You know, mm -hmm. they would have totally been able to do it. But, um, yeah, it was awful. And also, I think I remember the, the way they had me lying. I was, my eyes looked like they're rolling in my head because uh, I was lying down, I think, and Christopher's above me. So you can sort of see the whites of my eyes. It's, it's, not, it's not my finest hour. <laughs> but we all think you did a, a fantastic job in the movie, of course. What was it like working with uh, Sean Connery? Because it's, it's predominantly a, a production that it would seem... Uh, a lot of a like young cast, the young director. Uh, he was kind of the old guard, it would seem, on set. Oh, can I just tell you my other theory about all the women in the film? Of course. It's what my mum said. Sorry, I'll get back to Sean in a minute. My mum said the same actress should have played all the women in the film, which is quite an interesting take on it, I thought. That that would, I think, make a lot of sense and, and would give it a, a nice uh, poetic structure to the movie, I think. Yeah, so the Sheila Gish character 
would have been, you know, the same person. The I can't remember the name of the other actress. It's Roxanne Hart, I guess, is who I'm thinking of. Right. And, um, you know, all those people would have been the same, which was, you know, quite an interesting thing. Um, so he keeps meeting people, although he's immortal. He keeps meeting. She's not immortal, but she keeps meeting. He keeps meeting the same person throughout the centuries, which is quite an interesting sort of concept. But anyway, Sean Connery, uh, Sean knew my mom. Oh, really? Yeah. So this is the thing about being a child actor of somebody who's been quite successful in movies and stuff, especially in the UK where we have a much smaller population than you do, especially of actors. So kind of, you know, those film stars of the, the 50s and 60s and 70s they all knew each other and so he knew my mom so you know the first day of filming he came up to me and said you know send my love to your mom i was a bit i don't know if i i don't think i was intimidated by him at all that's the other advantage of having met all these people over dinner in your house when you're a kid right um, it's not um you know it's like oh god my parents friends you know you sort of feel a bit annoyed at them um <laughs> But what was extraordinary was, I don't know how old he was when he made that film, but he's really sexy. And um, I sort of thought, oh, I don't get it. You know, everyone goes on about Sean Connery being sexy. And then they had a scene where they were running along the beach, Sean and Christopher running along the beach Mm -hmm. and barefoot. His calves, it's Sean Connery's calves are really sexy. (laughs) (laughs) I suddenly understood why why people, you know, really raved over him. And he he was a real laugh. He was lovely. That's fantastic. Uh, so a number of years later, you actually got to return to the character of Heather in Highlander Endgame. Can you tell us how that production was different than the 1986 Highlander and what your experiences were like on Endgame? Okay, so I didn't have a choice about that. Oh, really? Why Why is that? Was that a contractual um, thing? No. Um, it was, you know, how many years later was it? It was many, many years later. Mm-hmm. 20 years later or something? Yeah, about 20 years later. So I was at film school in New York. I was at NYU. I decided to finally go to film school. And I hadn't worked for, you know, I was doing this course at at NYU. And my agent phoned and said, they're making Highlander and your part. And I just thought, I don't want somebody else playing my part. (laughs) You know, I don't want somebody. The money was absolutely terrible. We filmed it in Romania. My wig and my flight, well, no, my wig cost more than I did. (laughs) It was basically either you do it or you don't do it. And I just thought, I really, for the fans, I don't really want somebody else to play that part. I felt a duty to... um, you know that people all over the world guys especially all over the world really identify me with that role and although for acting wise it's probably it was probably the most fun i ever had on a movie but it, it you know i have done many many other things um but i think it's a cheat to people who've invested their their time and their love in you not to to honor that so i was absolutely furious that it was a sort of last minute thought of theirs and uh, yeah it was a sort of presented to me as a fate complete either you do this or, or we get someone else wow so i had this ridiculous flight from new york to london to get my wig which cost a lot of money which i carried lovingly carried on the plane <laughs> on my lap because it was so much more expensive than i was and they flew me on a fantastic flight to Romania, where we filmed. And I wasn't there for very long, maybe a couple of weeks. And I hadn't seen Christoph for a very long time. So it was lovely to see him again. Um, and meet, is it Aaron? Uh, Adrian, Adrian Paul. 
God, I'm so sorry, Adrian. Um, <laughs> you know, and it was very, very sweet that everyone was there like that. I, I haven't seen the film, I'm afraid. That's I okay. Mean, <laughs> my, my thing about Highlander, my joke about Highlander, please forgive me, everyone, is that the, the, the tagline for our film was there can be only one. So if there can be only one, why were there one, two, three, four, and a series? Yes, this is a question we talk about a lot on our show. <laughs> That's my sort of thing about it. And I've never, you know, though apparently, you know, the fan base is great and loyal and, and there used to be sort of press things and people would sign autographs and stuff, and I was never invited to any of those. Wow. Things ever. And then I finally did one in, we had a, like a Comic-Con, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, I did one and it was just absolutely fantastic to do that. And then a few years ago in London, Christoph and I did one together, which was um, great because I don't think the, the fans had ever seen us there together. So it was a really lovely experience. That's great. Um, we asked this question of all our guests. Why do you think Highlander has endured, especially now the 30th year anniversary? What what part of the story do you think connects with people? It's run a lot on the TV here. Is it run there on the television? It is. That's, that's kind of when it became popular. It wasn't very popular uh, in its initial theatrical release, but eventually it made its way to cable, and that's when it got a you know huge cult following. And it's still kind of revered as a classic 80s movie, a midnight movie. A lot of people still love the movie to this day. For the, for the time, I mean, I know when you look at it now, and also CGI has moved on so much now, um, but for the time, it was incredibly innovative. I mean, Russell was really brilliant. He's a really brilliant editor. And so there were things in that movie that had never been seen before. You know, cuts that he did. Mm-hmm. I think there's one where he goes, he's looking at a fish tank and it goes up into Scotland. And, you know, it's just, just sort of extraordinary uh, filmmaking. The camera, Jerry Fisher, the DP, won a, a awards for his camera work. Um, they used stuff that they'd only, because pop videos in the eight, you know, were very innovative. All our film directors made pop videos and um, and ad- ad- advertising. So that's where all the innovations were made. So I think uh, for that reason, I mean, I don't know if it does sound the test of time now because we're so used to having dragons appearing regularly on our TV screens. But I think it was very innovative um, at the time. Also, I think the fan base, there was a particular sort of, it hit adolescent young men at a certain time. And so, and I think they've endured. I think, you know, your first, it's like your first love. There's always, you always have a special feeling for that. It did better in England probably than America. I mean, I didn't do any press in America when it came out because I was working. I guess maybe when it went, and the, and the TV series, I think, really helped popularise it. Definitely. Um, I think the TV series was incredibly popular. Then people start looking into it and they find the original film. So probably the Highlander TV series contributed to it but also you know for a certain generation of men specifically i think you know it's like their first love does that make sense definitely definitely and the other question we always ask all our guests is would you like to be immortal and if you were what would you do if you were well 
obviously, as I'm a very serious actress, I did a lot of research (laughs) when I did the film and I did ask that question and no, I wouldn't like to be immortal. What was the second bit of that question? Oh, if you were, what would you do? But the follow-up to your answer would then be, why would you not like to be immortal then? I think that you need to die. I think that human beings, I think death is part of life's journey and not dying is a terrible thing. You know, we need to kill our gods. Gods are immortal. It's not a natural part of life. Part of life is dying. It would be like Groundhog Day. Right. (laughs) Uh, He goes mad. Does anyone want to be immortal? I I know myself and my co-hosts, I think, would love to have a little extra time on this uh, planet uh, to travel. Uh, But yes, of course, the the downsides to it are, you know, enormous. Um, And there's a lot of pain and loss. And The other thing about being in movies is you are immortal. That's true. And I think what's happening, I'm getting really profound here, but what's part of the thing that's happening to sort of everybody you know Andy Warhol said everyone will have their 15 minutes of fame but now we've all got our iPhones and and can film every second of our day and take photos of what we eat and put it on the internet everybody is sort of immortalizing themselves you know it used to be a province of the very few who were in movies before you know before television this is and now it's um you know when people when people have a family member that dies they want those photographs of them my family members are actors lots of my friends are actors lots of them have died and the thing that's amazing for me it'll be so for everybody now everybody in the world but I've often thought when my mum dies, I have hundreds of films of her walking and talking. So I can see that person moving around. Other people would only have photographs, but now they can see their family members. They can hear the sound of their voice. Right. So, you know, you are to a degree immortal in that way. That's true. Before we move on and kind of close up, are there any other stories you'd like to share from the set of either of the Highlander movies? Anything that sticks out as a, a particular uh, amazing moment or a nightmare on the set or just any stories you haven't shared with anyone or would like to? I've never told anyone about the 10 hours of makeup and the getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> that was an extraordinary, extraordinary thing. I mean, I think the thing that was so fantastic was filming in scotland i mean it was just absolutely extraordinary oh i could tell a naughty story oh that sounds good we we were staying in a hotel uh all the actors stayed in a hotel which had this incredible bar um in fort william of all these whiskeys so every night we would try out a different uh hundred year old whiskey or whatever and the last night of the shoot we had a party and the producers got so drunk everyone got really 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 drunk uh we were doing tequila shots which i i was a young 23 year old 22 year old person i'd never done anything like that and we were all doing tequila shots and the producers passed out and had to be picked up by helicopter and taken to the airport otherwise they were going to miss the flight (laughs) um and the whole crew we were taken in coaches to the airport and the entire crew and they'd arranged this incredible lunch for us in glasgow at this amazing restaurant the entire bus Everyone was in dark glasses. Every single person on the bus was in sunglasses because they couldn't bear to look at the light because (laughs) everyone had the most appalling hangover. That's fantastic. (laughs) What are you working on now? I know you do a ton of TV work. Um, You also do a lot of voice work, which I think is really interesting. Uh, what What are you up to these days? 
Uh, well, I'm employed all year now, so I haven't been doing really enough voiceovers. I used to do loads of voiceovers, but um, basically I'm in a, a big TV series here called Poldark, which um, has got Aidan Turner, who was in the Hobbit movies, mm -hmm. uh, and it's a massive... Uh, hit here it's shown on pbs america i also do an another tv series here called the coroner which is a modern day thing um about a coroner so for half the year i do pole dark and for half the year i do the coroner and hopefully i will make it out to the states when when pole dog airs the next series of pole dog airs there Fantastic. I, I'm actually, I still haven't seen the, the new Poldark. I remember watching, um, I guess it was made into a series back in 1975 or 6. Yeah, um, right. And I remember watching that with my mom all the time. She oh, loved that. Cool. Yeah, so I, I'm sure she's also very excited to see the, uh, the updated version. Um, and how can fans uh, connect with you? Uh, can you talk about maybe your social media presence and where they can uh, look you up? I'm BT Edney. Uh, all lowercase, all one one word on Twitter. Um, and I love to, I live tweet when we show Poldark. So um, that is really good fun. Awesome. Well, BD, thank you so much for joining us. And for the listeners out there, uh, make sure definitely to follow BD Edney on Twitter. And that's at B-E-A-T-I-E-E-D-N-E-Y. And check out uh, the two shows she's in, Poldark and The Coroner. Thank you again so much for joining us. And it's, uh, it's really a treat to have you share your stories with us and the whole Highlander community out there that has still been loving this movie after 30 years. So. I had the best time. I'll do it again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You have a great day. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us on this very special chronicle of Highlander Rewatched. It was really a treat to sit down with Beatty and talk to her about her amazing stories and experiences on the Highlander set. And we hope you enjoyed uh, her insight into the series. If you liked what you heard today, make sure to head over to Facebook and like our Facebook page so you can follow along and keep up to date on all our current episodes. Also, if you liked what you hear and want to support the show, head on over to iTunes and leave us a nice five-star review. Uh, those five-star reviews actually help us get in front of more listeners and spread the good word of Highlander and get more people into this amazing franchise. Thanks again for joining us on this episode. I've been one of your rewatchers, Keith. Bye! Do you have to do it in a Scottish accent? You can do it in whatever accent you want. Um, <laughs>